Well, good morning. My name is Adam, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet. I have the great joy of being the lead pastor here, and it is wonderful to have you with us today. We know we've got a whole bunch of people who are joining us online. We've got a whole bunch of people who are joining us over in Genesis, in MP1, and then, of course, we're all together here in the auditorium, and it is wonderful to be together on this special Sunday in the life of our church. It's our 30th birthday. Woohoo! We're celebrating 30 years of ministry and church life on this campus. And I've got to say, you're looking pretty good for 30. Now, I can't see everyone over at MP1, but I'm sure that they're looking good as well. As you've already heard, our first service ever was on Sunday, the 16th of July, 1991. Today is Sunday, 18th of July, 2021, which means it's almost been 30 years to the day. And like what happens in life, a lot has changed in 30 years. A lot has happened in 30 years, which we saw a moment ago in that video. How cool was it to see all that God has done in and through his church? And you know, as I watched that video and saw those faces pop up on the screen, it reminded me that our story as a church is made up of hundreds, even thousands of individual stories. And each and every story matters to God. Each person has made a difference in the life of our church in their own way. Some of your stories, you might have been here from the very beginning. Some of you have been here for a long time. Others of you have come more recently and some have moved on. But whatever the case may be, each and every story matters to God. Now, I couldn't possibly mention every person and every story. There are far too many people that have done far too much over the years. But I do want to mention just a couple of people for a moment. Unfortunately, Bob Murray couldn't be with us today, uh, but I do know that he's watching online. Now, Bob, of course, as you've already heard, was our first minister. He and his wife, Sandy, played a key role in the life of our church. I actually had the chance to talk to Bob on the phone yesterday, and he shared with me the story of the church meeting when the church decided to sell the property at Stafford and then to use that money to start the school and to buy this block of land over here. And he said it was just an amazing moment. It was such a step of faith. I actually have memories as a kid of of watching Bob preach. Bob actually baptized my younger brother Craig in that very first service 30 years ago. And so Bob, we just wanted to honor you and to thank you for your investment in the life of our church. Yeah, we can put our hands together for Bob. And then, of course, there's John and Carla Hugenhout. John and his family moved up from Geelong in 1996, and John became the senior pastor in 1997. And then he then led our church for 20 years. Now, when you lead a church for 20 years, there's a lot of ups and a lot of downs. But John faithfully and humbly led through all of them. And I just wanted to thank John and Carla for their investment in the life of our church as well. You might have noticed that in all the photos, Bob and John both had uh, facial hair, beards, mustaches. 
That's why I've been growing a mustache for the last 12 months. <laughs> Just so I can fit in. Now, of course, and I know Bob and John would agree with this, ultimately, our story is not about any individual. Ultimately, our story is about God. It's about 30 years of God's goodness and God's faithfulness to us. And we wanted to take the opportunity today to look back in gratitude for all that God has done among and through us for the last 30 years, for the lives that have been changed, for the love that's been shown, for the hope that's been shared, for all that God has done among and through us, because it's been wonderful. But we also wanted to take this opportunity today to look ahead in anticipation for the next 30, because we believe that our story is not over yet. We hope and we pray that there are more years ahead of us, more people to reach, more good to do, more love to show, more worship to offer. Because just like he was 30 years ago, Jesus is still risen and reigning and ruling. And the Spirit of God is still poured out and present and powerful. And we are still called and equipped and empowered to be Jesus' witnesses in our day for God's glory. And so we believe that our story is not over yet. And this is why today we have released this booklet that you've received in your bag that's called Vision, Our Prayerful Plan for the Future. Now this just lays out very simply what we believe God is calling us to do and who He is calling us to become. And I really hope that sometime in the near future, you will take the time to read through this. I really do believe that you will find it encouraging and exciting. In there, you'll find our values as a church community. You'll see some goals that we've set for the next five years. And you'll also be able to, to read there our prayer for the future, which you'll hear more about a little bit later. But in particular, I wanna draw your attention to what we've called our purpose and our priorities. Now our purpose, very simply, is why we exist. It's our mission, it's our collective ambition, it's what we believe God has called us to do. And it's defined very simply, very succinctly as this, to help more people find life in Jesus. To help more people find life in Jesus. This is why we exist, this is what we wanna do, because we believe the very best that it, thing that anyone could ever do, the most important thing that anyone could ever have, it's relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's new life with God because of Jesus. This is what Jesus came to purchase for us and this is what Jesus offers to us. And, and we see this truth really throughout the entire Bible but perhaps especially in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is uh, one of the four biographies of Jesus' life and ministry. It's also one of my favorite books of the Bible. And in the Gospel of John, we discover some amazing truths about Jesus. For example, we're told that Jesus has life within himself. Chapter one, verse four, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. It tells us that Jesus came to give us life. John 10, verse 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It tells us that Jesus speaks the words of life. 
This is what Peter said to Jesus in chapter six. You have the words of eternal life. It tells us that Jesus is the only way to life. Jesus said in chapter 14, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it tells us that the meaning of life is to know God through Jesus. Chapter 17, Jesus says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus is life. Jesus gives life. Jesus speaks life. And Jesus is the only way to life. And this is why, as a church, we want to devote ourselves to helping more people find life in Jesus. This is our purpose. This is why we exist. And as we pursue this purpose together, we want to devote ourselves to three priorities, to three central, fundamental, foundational areas, and they're very simply this. Number one, life in Jesus. Number two, life together. And number three, life for others. Now, these are not new, novel, or revolutionary. This is just a way of summarizing biblical Christianity. I mean, life in Jesus is our relationship to God. Life together is our relationship to one another. And life for others is our mission to the world. We're not reinventing the wheel. We're simply wanting to be faithful to God's word and fruitful in God's mission. We want to prioritize what God says we should prioritize. Life in Jesus, life together, and life for others. And so what we're doing over the next three weeks is, is we are launching a new sermon series called The Next 30. And we're just gonna take three weeks to dig into these three things, life in Jesus, life together, and life for others. Because these are the priorities, the things we want to devote ourselves to as we pursue our purpose. And I really believe that this is gonna be helpful for all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're part of our church or not. Because the truth is, Every single one of us is looking for life. We're looking for meaning, for hope, for purpose, for happiness. And the claim of Jesus is that you'll find it only in Him. Every single one of us is looking for community, for real, honest, authentic, accessible relationships. And the claim of Jesus is that you'll find that fully among His people. And every single one of us wants to live for something more than ourselves, more than just chasing bigger, better, and more. And the claim of Jesus is that the most wonderful cause in the universe is to help others find and know the love of God. And so this is what we're doing in the next three weeks. And today, we are going to begin with the most important priority of all. This has been a priority for us as a church for the last 30 years, and we want this to continue to be a priority into the future, and it's life in Jesus. This is more important than anything else. This is the starting point for everything. If you miss this, you miss everything. If you don't have this, then you ultimately have nothing of lasting value. I mean, Jesus is a bit like oxygen. If we don't have oxygen, we're not gonna survive. And if we don't have Jesus, then we have no spiritual life 
We have no hope beyond the grave and we have no relationship with God. Now you might be thinking, really? Without Jesus, I have nothing of lasting value? No life, no hope, no relationship with God? Is Jesus really that big of a deal? Because to be honest, it doesn't always seem that way. A lot of people seem to get along just fine without Jesus. Why is life in Jesus so important? Well, this is what Jesus addresses today in the passage we heard just a moment ago from John chapter 5. In this passage from John's gospel, Jesus makes some, listen to me, massive, life-changing, world-altering claims. In all honesty, this passage in the Bible should come with a warning label. Because if you will really listen to it, if you will heed what it says, it will blow up your life in the best way possible. I mean, this is not just a passage that we apply to our lives, that we kind of fit into the margins of our lives. This is a passage that revolutionizes our lives because the claims of Jesus are so revolutionary. They're so absolute, they're so amazing, they are so category-defying. And many people today don't like the claims that Jesus makes here in this passage, and truth be told, they didn't like it back then either. These claims that Jesus makes, they got him into trouble. In fact, we didn't read it, but in verse 18, we were told that the religious leaders of the day, they wanted to kill Jesus because of it. Now, what got them so worked up? What got them so hot under the collar? Look with me at verse 18, what it says there in John 5. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. These Jewish religious leaders wanted Jesus dead because Jesus was a threat to their religion. Jesus defied their categories and he disrupted their worldview. You know, in the Jewish faith and worldview, there were two very clear claims about God. Number one, God alone gives life at the beginning. And number two, God alone brings judgment at the end. These two privileges, life and judgment, belong to God and to God alone. Now look at what Jesus says in verses 26 and 27. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Look at what Jesus says there. He says, I have life in and of myself. No one or nothing gave me life. I am the source of life. I am the giver of life. Can you imagine hearing someone claim that? I mean, none of us could legitimately claim that. All of us have been given life from someone else, from the outside. But Jesus says, no, 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 life flows from within me. Now, is Jesus just making this up? Is this just a bunch of hot air? Is he claiming far too much for himself? Well, the answer, according to the Bible, is no, and Jesus has proven this to be true. I mean, earlier in chapter 5, Jesus healed a lame man. He gave life to his lifeless legs. Later in John's Gospel, in chapter 11, Jesus will raise Lazarus from the dead. He will give life to his lifeless body. And then ultimately, Jesus will prove this to be true through his own resurrection. The grave will be unable to hold the one who has life in himself. 
Jesus says, I am the source, the giver of life. He also says, I will ultimately be the judge of everyone. Everyone will give an account to me, Jesus says. Again, imagine if you heard someone claim this. Now, we tend to think that we are the judge of Jesus, don't we? Should I bother with Jesus or not? But according to this verse, we will not be the judge of Jesus. Jesus will be the judge of us. Now, I guess the question is, why Jesus? Why him? Well, he says there in verse 27, because he is the son of man. Now, this title, Son of Man, Jesus' favorite title for himself, it goes back to the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7. And in this prophetic vision, the Son of Man is appointed to judge and to bring to an end the evil of human history. And by applying this title to himself, Jesus is claiming to be this figure, to be the judge. But he's also telling us, and he wants us to know, that the one who will finally judge the world is a human being. The one who will judge us knows what it's like to be mistreated and maligned, to be tempted and tried. He knows what it's like to suffer and to die. You know, we often say to those who haven't gone through what we've gone through, you don't know what it's like. You can't judge me. We will not be able to say that to Jesus. He knows what it's like. And as the Son of God and as the Son of Man, Jesus is uniquely qualified to judge the world. As the Son of God, He is just. And as the Son of Man, He is sympathetic. And so Jesus claims to have both the power of life and judgment. And so He is guilty of what these religious leaders are accusing Him of. He is guilty of making himself equal with God, but not in the way that they're thinking. See, they're thinking that Jesus is claiming to be a rival to God, to be in competition to God. But instead, Jesus is claiming to have a deep unity with God. Look at what he says earlier in chapter five in verse 19. He says, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. In other words, Jesus and the Father are so deeply united that what the Father does, the Son does. What the Father is like, the Son is like. See, Jesus is not a rival to God. Jesus is the revelation of God. He shows us the character and nature of God. He reveals to us the heart of God. He shows us the face of God. He is, to put it crudely, God with skin on. Here's the way one commentator by the name of Frederick Bruner puts it. He says, Jesus does not eclipse God. No, he focuses him. He brings God down to us historically, humanly. Or as Jesus puts it later in John 14, he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And this is why Jesus says in, in chapter five of John's gospel, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. In other words, we cannot bypass Jesus in getting to God. There is no path to God that does not involve Jesus. 
We cannot say, I have a, a good, positive relationship with God, but it does not involve Jesus. To know God is to know Jesus. And this is why, as a church, we want to devote ourselves to life in Jesus. Not just to life in God, which is true, but too vague. Because true life with God is found in Jesus. This is why we read it elsewhere in the Bible, in 1 John chapter 5. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is why, as a church, we want to be all about Jesus, because true and lasting life is found only in Jesus. And so really, it boils down to this. We either accept Jesus and all that he claimed to be, or we reject him as either deluded or a liar. We cannot simply reduce Jesus to just being a good teacher with some nice stories and some good morals. He claimed far, far more than that. To use the words of C.S. Lewis, he famously said, Jesus is either a liar, he's just making it up. He's either a lunatic, he's crazy, deluded, doesn't know what he's talking about. Or he truly is Lord. And he is who he claimed to be. And so what's your response to Jesus? I guess the important question is, what response is Jesus looking for? What does God require of us? How does he want us to respond? That's the question we need to know the answer to. And Jesus tells us in verse 24, it's what he says, very truly I tell you. In other words, cross my heart, hope to die. This is really important. This really matters. Listen up. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. This response is shockingly simple. We don't have to jump through some kind of religious hoops. We don't have to meet some kind of special spiritual requirements. We don't have to have some kind of overwhelming experience. We don't have to even have to clean up our lives totally. We have to hear the word of Jesus and believe, put our trust in him to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be and he's done what he claimed he's done. You know, a child can respond in this way. Anyone can respond in this way. But don't be fooled, though the response is simple, the gift is glorious. Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. In other words, the moment you place your trust in Jesus, something decisive, something glorious happens to you. Eternal life enters in, never to leave. You are transferred from the realm of living death to the realm of eternal life. Now, what does that actually mean? What is Jesus offering us exactly? Is this just about life after death? Is this just about going to heaven when you die and sitting on a cloud? And the answer is not quite. Jesus says the person who believes in him has eternal life. It is a present possession. 
The moment you place your faith in Jesus, you enter into eternal life. You enter into relationship with God. Life with God has already begun right now, which means enjoy it. Get to know God through his word and among his people. Talk to God in prayer. Enjoy God's gifts. Rest in God's love. Eternal life begins today, but it also changes and transforms our tomorrow, our future. Look what Jesus goes on to say. He says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Now remember, Jesus has already told us that he is the one who will judge the world. Now he says that if your faith is in him, your judgment day has already happened. And you made it, you're through, you're forgiven because when Jesus died on the cross, he paid your penalty. God's judgment was poured out on him, on your behalf. The death of Christ was your judgment day. And so you don't have to wait around for the future to to see what's gonna happen to you. You have already passed from death to life. The verdict on your life is already in. And the verdict is forgiven and free forever. Romans 8 verse 1 in the Bible says, Therefore, there is now, not tomorrow, not next year, not in five years, not in 20 years when you get your life finally cleaned up. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now this doesn't mean that your life is all gonna be smooth sailing, but it does mean that your future is secure in Jesus. And even when life gets hard, even when your path gets dark, even when your faith is tested, you belong to Jesus and he won't let you go. He won't let anything come between you and him not even death itself. This is what he says, look at verse 25. Very truly I tell you, in other words, pay attention again. I tell you, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. You know, surely one of the worst places in the world to go, one of the hardest places in the world to go is the cemetery. Because in a cemetery, we are totally and utterly powerless. There is nothing we can do to change it. Doesn't matter who we are, doesn't matter what we have, doesn't matter how eloquent you are, how rich you are, how skilled you are, how educated you are. There's nothing we can do. None of us can raise the dead and none of us can avoid death. But Jesus says, There is a day coming when the dead will hear his voice and they will rise and they will live. See, the ultimate end for humanity is not the cemetery, it's not the grave. The ultimate end for humanity is the judgment of Christ. It's to stand before him. And on that day, Jesus says in verse 29, there will only be two outcomes, two eternal destinies for every person either resurrection to life or resurrection to condemnation. And the defining factor is your response to Jesus, to his claim to be the son of God 
and the Savior of the world. And to his free offer to you today of mercy, forgiveness, and eternal life. This is actually what it means to do good or evil in verse 29. It's not about earning your place in God's family. It's about your response to Jesus. The root of all good is to receive Jesus. The root of all evil is to reject his gracious and merciful offer. And so if you will hear Jesus' words and believe, trust in him, the promises that Jesus makes to you are staggering. You receive eternal life. You pass from death to life. You will not be judged and you will be raised to live with God forever. I said at the start that this passage should come with a warning label because the claims are so revolutionary. Well, I think it should also come in neon lights because it's so thrilling, so wonderful, and such good news. Everything you could ever want or need is found in Jesus, and he is freely available to you. And this is why we want to devote ourselves to life in Jesus. But here's the thing. We can't give this or do this for anyone. We can't force anyone to believe in Jesus. It's a work of God. But what we can do is we can speak the truth about Jesus. We can show the love of Jesus. We can serve like Jesus. And we can pray to God because of Jesus. And we can do this together. And this is what we've been doing for the last 30 years. And this is what we want to do for the next 30 and beyond. And so towards the back of that vision booklet, you'll find what we've called our prayer You know, it's good for us to have purpose and to set goals and to make plans, but none of these things really matter apart from prayer. What we really need to do is to pray. And so we've put together a prayer for our church community. It it defines what we're asking God to do among and for and through us. And a few different people from our church community, they are going to lead us in that prayer now. They're going to pray this prayer for us and over us. So let me invite you to turn your eyes to the screen as we pray this prayer together.